Welcome, everyone, to Season 3, Episode 81 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yash Bika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we are joined by BN Sports play-by-play commentator, Phil Shane. Um, let me give you a little background on Phil Shane if you don't know who he is. I'm sure you may have already heard from him. You know, he is a... He does usually do the commentary alongside Ray Hudson, but he was actually the first voice for Major League Soccer when it first started airing on ESPN from the beginning of its existence. Um, Also that he's covered, he's had some commentary in the FIFA 2000 game, uh, FIFA 2000, so that's way back. And then he also, he's commented on some World Cup games such as uh, the 2006 World Cup in the Germany, Costa Rica. So he's done pretty much everything and anything you could think of in the world of soccer from American soccer to all the way to European soccer. He's even covered, like Kevin Egan, he's covered some of the El Clasicos in the Camp Nou, in the Bernabeu. So he's covered so many, so many historical events, so many historical fixtures in the sport of soccer. And he was able to come on to the show and tell us a little bit about his experiences. Um, we talked a little bit about broadcasting in the booth, um, just about his love for Arsenal and about his, um, his thoughts and opinions about the club right now. So really a, just a good conversation about soccer, his life and his career. So please enjoy the conversation. Mm-hmm. And if we have infinite time, it was just one of those conversations that you just wish kept going on and on. But exactly. It it, it was so good. I mean, you're you're obviously going to listen to it, but it literally, I, I, like Tyler said, if we had infinite time, there was just so much you could ask. He's just got so many, it's just like, there's just so much, so much knowledge there. It's just so fascinating and so amazing to hear. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Enjoy the show. Today, we are joined by BN Sports uh, La Liga and just BN Sports commentator Phil Shane. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show today because obviously today you commentated on the Barcelona Osasuna game. So pretty busy schedule, but we are really appreciative of the time for you to come out and fit us in into the, uh, the schedule you have. So how are you doing, Phil? Uh, not bad at all. And it's not so much the football, but the family. So uh, <laughs> wife, kids, foster kid, house, at least they mowed the lawn for me today. So uh, no problem. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, to start it off, obviously, we are a Premier League podcast called the Premier Pod. And the from the research we've done. From oh, we're podcast, not going to talk Arsenal, are we? <laughs> yeah, I, we know we have to mention it. So oh. we heard um, I heard that you are an Arsenal fan and you mentioned in one of your one of the episodes that you've been uh, you've interviewed for that you were not the biggest fan of Mikel Arteta. And I wanted to know, um, since these round of results, obviously they're not doing the best in the league, but has your opinion changed of Arteta and really um, the atmosphere surrounding Arsenal right now? Um, no, not at all. <laughs> uh, it puts way, it's nice. You could even say it was impressive if it wasn't for the fact that the race was already over. And uh, in all honesty, we, we can't get a true judge. I, I'm going to give him that benefit of the doubt. I don't know how bad he is or how good he is because this is not normal. Uh, if we hadn't had a hundred days off and the world wasn't freaking out, um, <laughs> who knows what would have happened? Um, I still think it was the wrong choice. And uh, I'm not saying that this would have been the best, but it would have made a heck of a lot more sense to me for Carlo Ancelotti to go to the Emirates and for Mikel Arteta to get a little seasoning at Everton. But it doesn't always work that way. Um, and just to, 
to state the case, uh, try and be succinct and clear, it's not that I don't think he will be. It's just I have not really seen anything in his entire career that says he's up to that, even to play. Uh, in my mind, even though he wore the captain's armband at Arsenal, he was a rather nondescript player, uh, a nondescript quiet leader. I don't know what happened inside the dressing room with the doors closed. For all I know, he was throwing teacups that would make Alex Ferguson smile, but we <laughs> never saw that. Uh, I think that what he was was the epitome of an Arsene Wenger player, which isn't necessarily good, at least coming from the the final 10 years. Um, He didn't rock the boat. And I think this is an Arsenal squad. um, Well, forget about rocking the boat. I think they've already hit the Titanic. We're just waiting for it to sink. (laughs) And you need more leadership. You need, I mean, of those players. And I, I think he's kind of proven he might not be up to the managerial challenge. Maybe it's just bad luck or bad assignments, but, uh, from the playing perspective, you need the equivalent of a Tony Adams. You need the guy that Arteta replaced when he came over to the U.S. in a Patrick Vieira, who also was a relatively quiet leader, but was known to kind of grab people by the neck. Here, someone grabs someone by the neck and they get kicked off the team. So it just seems like a a (laughs) don't rock the boat kind of guy when we need someone to make sure everyone's picking up the oars. True, true. Um, I, I quickly wanted to know, how did you kind of get into your Arsenal fandom real quickly? It was, uh, and again, I know you guys are relatively young, although congratulations <laughs> on being uh, college graduates. That's a real step <laughs> towards reality. Thank uh, you. <laughs> and especially Tyler, since he's probably been paying bills. Yash, I welcome <laughs> you to the club. Um, but this goes back to when I was a kid. Uh, and the coincidence, the irony, uh, that if you were a soccer fan and didn't speak Spanish, you uh, your connection to the world game was PBS and uh, you down here in South Florida, I did get SIN, uh, which is the precursor to Univision. So I heard Tony Tirado calling some big games here or there, but for me, it was really Saturday and Sunday around noon, kind of gearing up for college football, gearing up for the NFL games that right around, I think it was noon, maybe 11 o'clock. It, it kind of synced in with this week in baseball, but it was uh, you had star soccer, which uh, which focused in on the English First Division. Um, and then you also had uh, the Bundesliga show with uh, uh, some of the greatest players of all time. And getting a chance to watch those players for both of those teams, see Beckenbauer before he came over to become part of the Cosmos, to, to watch Gerd Muller there, to watch uh, Arsenal even before George Graham, uh, which is really probably where I fell in love. I... I, I at that time, you were looking at the Liverpools of the world who were phenomenal. Manchester United was very good. Nottingham Forest was amazing. Um, and I, while I appreciated the style, I mean, I guess for lack of a better word, they were the Barcelonas of the day. I appreciated the style. I carried around a, a baseball card, a football card of, of John Barnes in my wallet, even though I hated Liverpool. Uh, <laughs> but I loved the way they played. What I liked about Arsenal... And I guess this kind of, maybe I need to be on the couch and you guys should be charging me like a hundred bucks an hour. Um, <laughs> growing up in South Florida at that time, and this is the long about way for an answer, uh, the Miami Dolphins were everyone's favorite and mm-hmm. no one was beating them. Uh, they were the undefeated. And I always kind of felt a little hesitant 
um, even if it was the hometown team, uh, to kind of jump on the bandwagon. So I was born in California, even though I was only there for about six months, uh, became a Dodgers fan, became a, uh, and this was before they were great, uh, of course, maybe not that great now, uh, became <laughs> a Lakers fan, became a Kings fan, became a Rams <laughs> fan, um, and at that point also became an Aztecs fan. Uh, but it was one of those situations where I didn't want to support a front runner. Um, and I didn't want to support a team that was totally abysmal either. I wanted to support a team that kind of epitomized what I viewed a team that aspired to something and was willing to fight for it. And back in those days, that was Arsenal. Um, not saying that they were the Burnley of football, but they were, they were closer to Burnley than they, than they are to Liverpool at that point. And, uh, I just appreciated the way that they played back in the days of Charlie George and David O'Leary and the like. So um, I kind of fell in love. Uh, George Graham, even if it was boring, boring, was able to turn this team into a title contender. Um, and Arsene Wenger came in, and when he came over from Nagoya Grampus 8, no one knew who he was, but he was able to bring a touch of class and, and to make English football more continental. The problem was he was so successful that they kind of gave him the keys to everything. And it's not mm -hmm. that it, he ran it into the ground, but it entropied. Uh, everything tends to towards disorder. And boy, was it tending in that direction. Mm -hmm. um, Alex Ferguson might be the only manager I've ever seen that was able to right the ship. And that's because he basically uh, built the new ship from ground up almost every two or three years. With mm -hmm. Arsene Wenger, they, he tried to squeeze more out of it than was actually there. And Arsenal tried to squeeze more out of Wenger than was actually there. And I think we're still kind of paying the price for that. So uh, I like Unai Emery. Didn't think he was exactly a perfect fit, but I was pulling for him. Um, I, I like Arteta, and I think he'd be a great number two. Uh, I don't think he's ready for number one yet. I was kind of rooting for Hassenhudel, uh, mainly because of my Austrian roots and seeing what he'd done in Leipzig. Uh, and he's doing quite well in Southampton, but maybe he's just how you say Unai Emery in German. I don't know, but I know that Mikel Arteta is not going to win you a Champions League. Mikel Arteta is not going to win you a Premier League. He might help you get back to respectability, and I hate to say it, maybe back into competing for a top four finish. But in my mind, Arsenal is the team that should be aiming for the cup, not trying to be respectable. Mm -hmm. Does that answer it? Yeah, no, that was great. It's interesting because um, I'm a Manchester United fan and Tyler's a Liverpool supporter. Um, but it's always interesting hearing how other people have kind of gravitated towards the Premier League, especially being in the United States, because we weren't obviously we weren't born in England and this mm -hmm. wasn't our grandfather's or father's club. No, you, you know, guys were going through something very, very similar, especially. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I used to say about back in my gold TV days, almost a decade ago, uh, that if you were a soccer fan, America was the best place you could live because you could watch mm -hmm. pretty much every game on in every league on earth. Exactly. Um, but especially when it went to NBC, and they've done a great job, mm -hmm. uh, it opened the door and opened the eyes of so many new fans that were going through something very similar to what I went through back in the 70s. So mm -hmm. uh, I agree with you. And I was hoping Jurgen Klopp, because uh, I had the chance to cover him in the Bundesliga, even going back to his days with Mainz. Um, but Arsenal wanted to hold on to Wenger, and Liverpool's the benefactor. <laughs> um, and while I don't think he's safe yet, guys, uh, Solskjaer has something that Arteta does not. And maybe it's just the benefit of the, of the position that they played where Arteta's job is to try and try and shut things down. Solskjaer's job is to try and spark things up. Uh, mm -hmm. and 
his personality doesn't really come across that way. Although if you kind of hear him off camera, if you will, uh, yeah. there is some bite there. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had the history for the club. He did things for the club. He was maybe not as Paul Scholes, but he was the spark. And uh, I think he got off to a bit of a rough start. Well, he got off to a great start for about a dozen games. Then yeah. things got a little wobbly. Um, and I'm somewhat surprised, although again, American ownership, if there is a fault, if you will, it's they're more patient than most. Uh, they've kind of ridden that storm, and I think they're they're benefiting from it. I, I think uh, you're looking at Chelsea and Manchester United challenging Manchester City uh, for second place next year. Uh, I think Liverpool still heads and above, but I think both Klopp and especially and Solskjaer have their teams headed in the right direction. Yeah, I'm excited. I just really hope that they continue the investment. And obviously, I know with the pandemic and everything, every club has just kind of been stripped with their um, and have to be strict with their money. But I'm hoping they can slowly and slowly keep investing because that Southampton game definitely showed us that they're not um, they can't just rely on the starting 11 week in and week out. They have to have some depth behind those guys. But this is kind of transitioning over to, I guess, your broadcast side, because I graduated with a journalism degree and sports journalism and the whole sports media landscape is kind of where I want to go into. And, you know. For broadcasting, I've done a couple high school, local high school football games broadcasting for them. And I wanted to know, obviously for BN, you're doing a lot of the games in a studio booth and you're commenting live to the people, you know, watching on their TV and everything. How much, how much of a difference is that kind of going from a live, you know, game atmosphere, commentating, doing play by play to a studio, you know, in the booth type of atmosphere, you know, how difficult was that to kind of switch from going from live to the studio for soccer. It's surprisingly not as much as I would have thought. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because of the way that the game is structured. Um, and perhaps it's because also of my introduction to the game. Uh, mm-hmm. there was that, I went to pretty much every strikers game I could growing up. Then they went belly up and I was in Ohio anyway, going to school and, then later in New Jersey, there weren't a whole bunch of games. So it was pretty much TV or else. And I was able to transition with Gold TV relatively easily. So much of that depends upon the production that's going on at the site mm-hmm. um, and the production that's going on where you are. And if you have a producer who knows what they're doing, camera mm-hmm. people who know what they're doing, a, t- a director that knows what they're doing. Um, and perhaps as we've kind of witnessed, uh, some people might not like it, but I, I think everyone would realize it makes an impact. Audio people that know what they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. You throw all of that together, it doesn't really matter uh, what happens. Now, maybe for other sports, it would be a little bit different. Um, I was able to do some college basketball for Sunbelt last year off of monitor. And surprisingly it, I was able to, I mean, so much happens in such a small confines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the one thing you do kind of learn is if you make a small mistake, just move on. Uh, no one's really going to notice. And if they do, there'll be a hundred plays bef- uh, or a hundred touches before uh, you get a chance to correct it. If it's a big mistake, correct it and move on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the announcer little tricks of the trade as well is if your partner makes a, tr- makes a, a blunder, Uh, try and point it out to them so they correct themselves. Uh, I think there's a psychological aspect, both for 
you and your partner, and also for the people at home, where if you're constantly correcting your partner, it seems like there's something going on that probably isn't. So mm-hmm. kind of let people correct their own mistakes. Um, but it also goes back and back just before I started with ESPN, I was doing some local uh, regional cable down here, the occasional soccer game, mainly basketball, baseball, uh, football and the like. Uh, and I was working for the all sports station, uh, WQAM and was fortunate enough where the executive producer was Chris Visser, who was Leslie Visser's brother. And I don't know, he probably still has a Rolodex, but I think he had the Pope's number. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. he knew pretty much everything, but at the same point also, um, Leslie's husband was calling NFL games forever. And uh, he was telling me stories about how it just shocked him when he would be going to these NFL games and going up to the booth and uh, getting ready for all of what you would witness on a, on a Sunday. Um, And he'd be in the booth spotting for Dick Stockton and, Dick would be up, micro- the headphones on, talking about everything that's going on before the game. And then just before the snap, he'd sit down and watch the monitor and call it off the monitor, even though he's in the stadium, windows open and everything. And Chris asked him one day, uh, said, Dick, why do you do that? And he said, because unlike radio, where you're painting the picture wherever the canvas and the brush take you, on television you have to call what the people are seeing at home. Now, occasionally you can kind of bring in uh, something about the sky, something about the wind, something about the weather, something about what might be happening in the stands over there or down on the sideline. But for the most part, if you start talking about everything outside of what people are watching at home on their screen, it's going to be confusing, if not annoying. So he went out of his way to, even though he had the benefit of being at the game, which is a benefit because you kind of get more of the feel of what the players are going through with a feel of what's going on in the stand. Maybe you get more of a feel of momentum and, uh, and emotion. But as far as actually calling the game, he was calling it off like a little 12 inch monitor. Um, now we have the benefit of calling it off 25, 35 inch monitors, um, <laughs> in an air conditioned studio. So, uh, it could be worse, but it, it takes a little bit of an adjustment, but in all honesty, I think maybe a lot of announcers might be more afraid and it maybe does change things a little bit to the point of, uh, don't be so quick to pick a player's name out. Maybe you talk about the team has it moving down the line. Maybe you have to pay a little bit more attention to who's wearing what colored cleats and, uh, what players haircuts look like what today, um, who has tattoos on their right arm or left, uh, because you hardly ever get a chance to see the numbers, but, uh, Uh, it's not that hard, even though you probably do have to make some adjustments. And maybe one of the biggest ones is uh, something you have to make anyway, is you're going to make mistakes. No one expects you to be perfect. And you know what, if someone does expect you to be perfect, you probably don't want to be hanging around them that much anyway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Of course. Uh, You got the next question. Yeah, I actually had a question about that because I always wondered as a commentator, do you see exactly what, we see on TV in terms of your commentating, like, do you have your own special camera that you can just point to wherever to see what's going on? Cause sometimes when I'm watching a game, when I'm focused on it, I still miss things. I'm looking at, I'm like, Oh, can we, 
Can we rewind that? <laughs> I just missed it. Is there anything like that? Do you get kind of special on your side or do you see just what we see? Um, when I was doing the MLS games and I'm in the stadium and we do have two monitors up there 90% of the time, if not more, um, one game would be program. The other game would be an, what they call ISO or isolated. And that would end up being, uh, say, of the two main cameras up top. One is the wide play-by-play camera. The other one, either up top or down low at midfield, would tend to be the ISO camera, where you, you pick a player out. You try and find a battle. Um, that one tends to have different video, but it tends to be more for the color guy. Um, and back in those situations, the color guy might actually be talking to the producer, saying what they want to see. A goal just happens. Wind it back to here. Uh, no, use a different angle. I want to show what's going on with this player. Um, where we are, we basically just have the one monitor. Now, it all depends on who's producing for us because normally we will get the signal from Spain or France or Turkey or wherever. Um, it will come in uh, to make sure that Ray or I or Eric or Andres or whoever might be on the microphone uh, doesn't all of a sudden start cursing in the middle of a game um, or... I think probably even more for technical reasons in case the camera drops or the signal drops, you can bring in something else to, to kind of cover. There's a 10 second delay, seven to 10 second delay. Some producers um, will kind of whisper in your ear, watch out here. So you kind of get the idea, okay, whatever, wherever you're starting to ramble and, uh, and maybe go off track. Now you kind of want to, at least for the next 15, 20 seconds, bring it into focus um, however, that can also be a bit of a, of a distraction. Sometimes it's better even to be surprised and shocked by something uh, than to have a producer, especially one that maybe is, does talks a little bit too much, doesn't know how to say it, uh, uh, is annoying in one way or the other, maybe it just throws you off the game. Um, and I, knew, I know that there are certain announcers that don't want the producer to tell them anything. They'll turn the producer down. As the play-by-play guy, I don't really have that luxury because I got to know when there might be a promotion, a, a graphic coming in or something like that. But uh, the one thing that I loved at Gold TV that I continue to love at being sports is the people that I work with love the game and they know the game. They're not just going to be randomly throwing something out because they feel like they have to be doing something. Uh, they, they love the game first and they've learned the television around that. So uh, it hasn't been that much of a bother. But in answer to your question, we're seeing exactly what you are. Uh, again, it, it comes in, it goes through the little bit of delay. Uh, also gives us a chance to throw graphics up and things like that. But Ray and I, or Andres and, and Gary and Eric and Thomas, um, we see it. And then, I mean, in a matter of seconds, because it has to go back up to the satellite, back to wherever your cable or, or provider is, and then into your house, uh, two, three, four seconds later, you're going to be watching it with us. But uh, we're we're basically watching everything live together. Wow, I had no idea. That's that's actually crazy because now I have no excuse to make sure I get the action as I see. <laughs> hey, it. we get stuff wrong all the time. All you have to do is look at my Twitter feed. <laughs> and that actually kind of brings me to another question I was thinking about because, you know, there's all this new technology now these days for these games from that 360 camera where you can see exactly what a player is seeing in a replay. 
right before a goal happens or maybe a drone like one of those spider cams goes across the pitch and then you can get different angles from different free kicks are there any kind of technologies you that exist out there that you wish was in the game now that would help you out or maybe something that doesn't even exist that you wish existed that would be kind of helpful for you that's actually kind of cool. Normally, I'm thinking about how to get technology out. Uh, <laughs> I was never a fan of the goal line technology, but the way it's been implemented uh, has been relatively well, 99.9% good. Um, although, obviously, this season we learned it wasn't infallible. Um, the video review, in my mind, is fixing a problem that wasn't there to begin with and creating more problems. Uh, but... From a broadcasting perspective, you have to, I mean, so much happens here because the money is here uh, for NFL and like, and, and the NBA. And we had the rail cams, we had the steady cams, we had the sky cams. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the value of the beautiful game has also gone up to the point, especially in Europe uh, for Premier League, Champions League and the like, where they will... Um, bend things a little bit and they brought the sky cam in they've had steady cam um drones are a little bit difficult just because uh, we used them uh for an icc futures tournament up in tampa this past year and it was great but the quality of the camera wasn't quite matching the quality of the regular cameras nowadays though with computers i, I think like next time if we do it again hopefully we'll actually be able to have tournaments and games that we can attend. If we do it again, uh, I guarantee you there's just a little bit of software or maybe a small hardware that can color match uh, uh, all of that together and frame rate match. Uh, But I agree with you. Drones are amazing. Um, The 360 is just computer technology, which again is phenomenal. And it's a little blurry here. You can kind of sense where they're jumping from one camera to another, but uh, in all honesty, to get those perspectives, it's kind of worth it because you can even kind of jump into someone's head literally and see what <laughs> they were looking at at the moment, which is a little freaky, but also uh, clears things up. I guess the one thing that would be really cool would almost be like Mono Burgess's old Google glasses, um, <laughs> which was kind of just a, a, a marketing ploy, but it would be kind of cool because I've gotten to the point. I remember when I started um, back in New Jersey doing high school football and basketball, I would spend hours and hours every week on South river Edison. Um, and then it got to the point where I would throw everything into a computer and especially, uh, early be in days, uh, pretty much just have to clean up something, find out if someone transferred in, um, and then just put it onto stickers and put those stickers onto a piece of paper. But even that tends to it tends to be a little bit of a crutch and I find writing stuff down constantly drills it into my head. And I've gotten to the point where instead of having my depth chart, game notes, uh, statistics, uh, and like with football, your, your score sheet, et cetera, instead of having three, four, five pages. And when you're in a booth, you can tape some of them up, but it's still, every time you look at them, you're looking away from the field and here you're looking away from the monitor. Um, I try and write everything I can on one side of one sheet of paper. Now, maybe on the other side, I'll put uh, if Messi does this or here's the sponsor at this particular point. Um, Today, it was 
uh, what's happening with the championship, what's happening with the Champions League, what's happening with Europa, what's happening with relegation, trying to work all of that stuff out so uh, I wouldn't get tongue-tied in the middle. But if there was one bit of technology, it would, like I said, it would kind of be Google Glass to the point where I could have all of that synced up with all of the technology from Opta and the like. So I could be watching either in person or on a monitor and like Saul Niguez runs past and I could find out, okay, six foot one from Madrid. Um, and he's been with the first team for six years and Everton was trying to buy him away. I, just little things like that to the point where mm. just like pop up, like you're a fighter pilot in <laughs> uh, off to the left of the screen. So I can just focus in on what I'm looking at, but, um, again, technology can be a crutch and there are times I've caught myself. Um, there are times, even when I've caught myself, some people think it's too much. And I know Ray makes a joke about it at times, just being too <laughs> stats heavy, uh, like an anorak or a stat geek, uh, to give you an idea when I started doing college football and high school football, I would write tons of notes. Um, and even like with the MLS, probably even more to the point where if I used 15, 20% of the notes during a game over two hours, it was amazing. But <laughs> actually with football, you never yeah. know who's going to do what, when, and the third string guard might end up being the hero of the game. So you needed mm -hmm. to find out that, but in all honesty, 95% of the time, the third string guard never makes it out onto the field, Yeah, uh, but you had to be ready just in case with soccer you pretty much know who the 11 are. Uh, you know who the next three or four are going to be. Uh, so you can really focus on them. And when you've been doing it for 38 games a season uh, for 20 seasons, um, it could be a little bit much. So if anything, I've tried to pare that down so I don't overwhelm. I try and make sure, and again, thanks to Opta, a lot of that, the big, big stuff is served thanks to soccer Twitter, where I probably have, I think, 20 or 30 people in my Spanish one uh, to the point where I might be following people that will remind me of something. Like uh, one thing I didn't really remember last game was Joaquin was about to play his 550th game to tie Raul for the all-time mark. Little things that don't, that so they don't slip through the cracks. But uh, as a play-by-play -play guy, you want to leave time for the game to breathe. Um, the one thing with television is people can see what they see. So maybe you're going to need a little bit more backstory, a little bit more statistics to fill the blanks, because I, th I think we've gotten to the point, especially with second screens and third screens, um, that people are looking for more than what their eyes see for the most part. Um, but you also don't want to overdo that. Mm. that's yeah. actually a, a wild thing to say because like augmented reality like having these kind of glasses where you can just look at someone kind of like terminator and then just be like all right <laughs> got <laughs> like, it that would go. be brilliant and you know what that's why the google glasses look so good on mono because he looks <laughs> like he could be a terminator um but again like i said from a broadcasting perspective uh I, and i don't know if you guys catch yourself doing this mm -hmm. uh most of the time it, when i'm at home and this sounds a little bit strange, but I don't watch that much because my life at work is 100% soccer. When I come home, I'm trying to do other things. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my wife would probably like I do even more different things with the family, but when I'm in <laughs> here, even just doing work and preparation or whatever like that, or uh, taking care of the bills, I might have the TV on. I might have the radio on. It tends to be when my son, who God forbid is a Chelsea fan, um, <laughs> but he might turn something on um, and that'll kind of be in the background. So I'll have the game up, but I'll be looking at my computer. I'll have my phone here. Um, if I'm in the bedroom, I have the iPad sitting right there as well. People don't watch games anymore for the most part. They, it's a different experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some ways, they're part of it because something happens, they tweet about it. And then they're looking on uh, YouTube to see if they can find or, or basically a Twitter video to find out what did I, like you said, Tyler, what did I just see? Or what did I just <laughs> miss? Um, uh, and maybe they'll be scanning over to ESPN to find the backstory. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's not just sit back for two hours and watch anymore, even though there's a lot of old fogies like me sometimes that probably wish it was. That's not the world we live in anymore. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I find myself all the time just having a random game up on the computer and I'll just be doing some other work or I'll just have it out in the background while I'm doing you know other chores. And you know if something happens, I'm like, well, what happened? I'll just check Twitter and all that. Um, but I know we're a little short with time, but I quickly wanted to ask um, a question from one of our fans, Polo Vargas. He is actually a huge Barcelona fan and he's been watching La Liga games, especially on specifically on BN Sports. And he's a big fan of what you and Ray have been doing over the years. And his question is, as a commentator that has witnessed Barcelona in actions for years now, what must the club do to prepare for a future um, post-Messi era? Pray. <laughs> a lot. Um, you can't prepare. You mm-hmm. can't. Um, they tried to a point, and put this way, that sounds simple. That sounds bad. You can try to prepare, and Neymar was that plan. Didn't mm-hmm. quite work out that way. Now, who knows? Neymar might come back. Um, or maybe there's someone, maybe Conrad de la Fuente is the next guy to line up on that right wing. Uh, and maybe he won't be messy. The odds are heavy against him. Uh, <laughs> but if you have someone up front that can score goals, you have Ricky Pooch making the passes, um, and you have Ter Stegen or whoever's behind him, uh, life goes on. I mean, this is a, a Barcelona team that went from Kubala into Cruyff through Ronaldinho, a Maradona time, a Ronaldo time. Um, not saying that they'll just replace Messi like they replaced all of those. That's life. Um, and you know what? I hate to say it in a year or two, Messi's not messy right now. He's not messy, but what Messi is right now is kind of a, a hybrid Messi and Xavi, um, that Mm -hmm. if he had a little bit more production around him, uh, especially on the defensive side, that this would still be quite effective. Um, and still could be, I mean, if he wanted to put up with it for three, four, five more years, maybe less and less goals, but more and more passing towards goal. Uh, it's just he's getting to the point where he can't do it himself anymore. He needs other people to step up, and to this point, they haven't. Uh, I think one thing we've seen with Real Madrid, it's just really funny, by the way, because we ended up doing the uh, the Barcelona game today. We had the Real Madrid game on, on Espanol. Um, <laughs> but it's funny, when I do a Real Madrid game, uh, I, and part of it is just cause Ray is such an optimist 
Not that I'm being a pessimist, but I'm trying to get him to flesh out his thoughts or to provide the counter to what another argument might be. When I'm doing a Real Madrid game, everyone thinks I'm a Barcelona fan. When I'm doing a Barcelona game, everyone thinks I'm a Real Madrid fan. So I guess I guess if I'm pissing everyone off, I'm doing something okay. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. But again, when you you just really take a look at at what Real Madrid has done, sure they went out and got Eden Hazard, but mm-hmm. there was method to that madness. For the most part, um, it's spending four million here, spending two million there, spending ten million now, so you don't have to spend fifty million later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think. Even under Zidane, that's been Zidane version 1.0 and 2.0. One of the most amazing things that he was able to talk Florentino Perez into not spending money um, <laughs> because the likes of having a Lucas Vasquez here, a Marco Asensio there, uh, Rodrigo, a uh, Vinicius um, to step up, Isco when Modric can't. You, I mean, the one, the two guys really. Because I think whoever was in goal would have done well, although Thibaut Courtois deserves a lot more credit than he's getting. But uh, let me expand that. Three guys. Um, Casemiro, who was integral. Sergio Ramos, who was vital. And Karim Benzema, who might be irreplaceable. Um, Mm -hmm. But that is your spine. And Zidane has found a way to get those players out there almost every game for almost every minute. And then the rest of them, he he does what he can to spread the joy around. Um, <laughs> and in the process, they brought in a lot of young players. Where with Barcelona, more often than not, you have eight or nine players out there that are 31 or older. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them, as you kind of allude to, is irreplaceable. So that has more to do, I think, with the board trying to find superstars and kind of doing what they condemned Real Madrid for years ago. Uh, maybe it's also just a sign that La Masia is running a little dry. Maybe there isn't another Iniesta or Xavi or Messi or Busquets or Piquet to call up. Maybe you do have to go to Borussia Mönchengladbach or Real Sociedad. Uh, but my guess is they, they got used to the penthouse and they forgot how they got there, and they didn't keep that door open. Uh, it's going to be forced open, uh, and it might be some uncomfortable moments. I still think this is a team that's going to be in Champions League regardless, but I wouldn't be surprised for a year or so them stumble out of challenging. It might be Real Madrid in a walk like it was for Barcelona the last couple of years. Maybe Atleti jumps past them, but uh, but Barcelona does need to – to reinvent themselves and they can do it with or without Messi, but uh, they need to do something relatively quick. Uh, I, the fact that Kike Setien was playing Ricky Pooch a lot more, I think is a sign that uh, they do have some pieces of the puzzle, but who knows if Kike is going to be back. Uh, and even if he is back for next year, uh, as soon as the Euros are over, the Coleman rumors are going to start. As soon as the next presidential election is over, the Xavi rumors are going to start. <laughs> so, uh, and, and who's to guarantee that they will get the answers right? Uh, Coleman was an, uh, abysmal at Valencia, and Xavi's still learning at El Sad. So uh, I think in some ways, Barcelona fans love what the last decade was and are kind of grasping for straws, hoping that there's someone out there that has the magic answer. Um, 
And there really isn't. It's it's good work, hard work, and maybe a little bit of luck. Zidane would be the first to admit it. Awesome. Well, yeah, that that's a really strong answer to kind of end the episode. But once again, thank you so much, Phil, for joining us on this episode. I know we've been emailing back and forth for a while now, but we had some technical issues uh, come up here and there. But I'm glad we were able to finally set a date and get this um, get this on. It, we really enjoyed it. Well, I appreciate it at any time, Tyler. Yash, it was it was fun. Like I said, um, it's not the easiest job. Some people kind of think it is, but mm-hmm. it is. Uh, it's a blessing, and I've been blessed to be able to do what I love for three decades and alongside some great people. Um, I mean, I could be laying tar on a road, repairing a roof, or picking up garbage, <laughs> which are all real jobs. Um, I get to live in La La Land for a bit, and I'm glad I do. And I'm glad that uh, that people out there like it because there's nothing like this game. There's nothing like this sport. And uh, I think we've kind of witnessed some of the magic, even in these trying times, that having soccer back can take your mind off the bad things in life, maybe give you a chance to refocus with some optimism. Uh, and I think it's probably been, uh, now that soccer is back, um, a step towards this new reality and hopefully it'll be a step back towards a real reality. Of course. Yeah. Thank you so much, Phil. Appreciate my it. Pleasure. That was a great conversation and a great podcast with Phil. I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it was probably one of our better episodes. It's, it's pretty crazy. I think Tyler and I, before uh, we recorded the episode, we were thinking um, it's wild that, you know, 81 episodes in, we're getting people to come on, such as Phil, Phil Shane, Kevin Egan, Lizzie, you know, Eric Krakauer, um, you know, people that have made them have made a name, name for themselves in the soccer industry and soccer media that they're coming on to this podcast. Because if you go back to episode two, we literally fired up the laptop, opened it up and recorded in front of a big fan, literally a big fan that was just going off, like <laughs> made a huge noise. And we were literally recording off a laptop microphone. So it's pretty cool seeing the growth we've done and how that's kind of correlated with us being able to bring some amazing people for you guys to hear. Mm -hmm. I loved having Phil on and it was just an amazing conversation. It was just one of those (laughs) kind of talks where it's just kind of surreal. It's just like, oh, what is happening? (laughs) It's like there's two of us talking to one of the voices I just heard around the world. Exactly. Exactly. And it's it's kind of hard. It's it's crazy when you're in the moment. You're not really thinking about it, but when you get out of it, you're just like, wow, you're talking to someone that's so synonymous when they think of, you know, American coverage of La Liga, Barcelona, Real Madrid. So it, it, it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It was definitely really cool. Really it, cool experience. It was just one of those things where you just, it, it's not until after it was done that you're just like, whoa. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. A very natural conversation that we had. And it's just a really good episode, as we mm-hmm. like to say. <laughs> yes. And yeah, if you guys like um, what we what you heard in this episode, please make sure to rate, comment, subscribe. Please give us a rating on iTunes and give us a, a rating and also a review. It really helps us in terms of pushing us up and being more noticed to other people so they can grab on and listen on to this content. So please make sure to um, like, rate, comment, subscribe, and also follow our YouTube channel where we actually sh- put the shows on there as well. So follow us on there and also follow us on our social media handles, Instagram and Twitter under the username of the Premier Pod. We're always posting on there. We're pretty active on there. So if you ever want to get in contact with one of us, 
hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. We'll respond really soon because we're pretty active on there. But yeah, um, that kind of does it for us for episode 81. Hope you guys enjoyed the conversation with Phil. Peace. Peace.